Hallelujah. I'm just glad to be in the house of the Lord again tonight. Amen. Yeah. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. We're going to uh, start our study by reading our text scripture. Um, Matthew 24, verses 36 and 39. And I have quite a bit of, uh, of notes for tonight. I'll, hopefully we'll get through them. If not, we'll just keep on until we... Next week, however we do, Amen. Praise God. Find a good cut off place if that's possible. I try not to elaborate a lot. Um, it's hard not to sometimes, right? Amen. But Jesus's words here, Matthew twenty-four thirty-six through thirty-nine. He said to the disciples, "But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be." For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Notice that Jesus said that they continued that way until the day that Noah went into the ark. So there was not any kind of slowdown. At all, okay? Um, just, just keep that in mind. So for the sake of time, I'm just going to uh, do a quick overview from last week uh, of what we talked about. Uh, last week, our, some of the main things that we talked about were, uh, talked about the sons of God. And, and as um, the Bible says in Genesis there, uh, when it talked about the sons of God, how that's translated as the sons of lords. Uh, Lord's meaning powerful people. So the sons of the powerful people went into the uh, to the common people, to the average people, people like you and me. Uh, I don't want to say poor, but uh, the average people, and uh, they took their daughters because they thought they were pretty, they were fair, they were beautiful, uh, they were uh, good-looking uh, girls, and. They went into those women and they took them as their wives because they felt like they could because they were the sons of the powerful people. Powerful people being leaders, government leaders, people of prominence, people of, uh, of affluence. So uh, keep that in mind. Their attitude towards the women uh, were not for the sake of taking them as a wife, but for their selfish pleasure. They done uh, with them what they wanted to because they felt like they could. Now we know that this links back to Lamech uh, and his uh, decision to be the first to take two wives to separate uh, sex and the responsibility of having children. So that uh, all connects back to there. Uh, now the spiritual, the, the Bible says that in Genesis that the spiritual side of man uh, was proven to be insufficient to make right choices. So the flesh was winning. So on that note, God said, my spirit shall not always strive with man because their flesh is overcoming and it's too great. So he said, I will give them another 120 years uh, to change. Of course, we know that uh, there was not a lot of change, uh, not really any at all over that 120 years. And so he said, my spirit shall not always strive with man. The Bible tells us there in Genesis, we talked about, he said they were giants in the land 
at this time, and that, that word giant is translated as the Hebrew word Nephilim, uh, which means fallen ones. And so uh, Nephilim is a, is a very familiar uh, word in a lot of uh, theology and a lot of study, and so the Nephilim uh, means fallen ones, and so that's what uh, the giant, the word giant, was used. So uh, these were were people of uh, again uh, the, the fallen ones, pretty much in in a nutshell. That because of the generation, because of the trends, because of the decline, because of the uh, of the degenerate. Uh, minds and their actions, uh, they kind of fell below the ideal level of what uh, a life and home should be. And so uh, these people were, uh, these, they were there having children uh, because of their choice to, uh, to have these, uh, these women. And they had began to neglect the whole idea of marriage. They had watched marriage uh, not work and watch marriage fail again. Keep in mind uh, having the two wives and then uh, just uh, completely doing away with marriage and, uh, whatsoever because they began to uh, just have their way, if I can say it like that, with these women. Uh, and so much so that the scriptures, the, the Hebrew tells us that, uh, that because of no marriage that there was even rape and seduction. So uh, kind of get an idea, we kind of get an idea of what was happening with these men uh, who felt like that they were, uh, that they had the right, they were prominent, and they were powerful, and they were taking these women, and as a result, many of these women were bearing children. They were having uh, sons and daughters. There were, were children being born, but these children were being born without a father. They were being born, uh, and their father was not present because now we see that these men were uh, having these children, or excuse me, getting these uh, these women pregnant, and then they were just going and doing their own thing. So now we we have a generation that was coming up of fatherless sons, and these fatherless sons become violent in crime, and uh, if, if I can say it like that, in doing. Uh, uh, the things against the whole moral code um, because there was no boundaries. They had no father figure. And so now uh, this was not only uh, affecting the, the immediate home and the immediate family, but it was helping to destroy society. So this is what we have to keep in mind. This wasn't just uh, happening, you know, here and there. This was now on a societal level. It was now... Uh, kind of like an infection in the society. So uh, we're seeing a, a picture now, and now we're kind of a, at a place where we left off last week of where uh, now these, uh, these babies, these sons are growing up, and now they're becoming uh, even more so lawless, if I can say it like that, and um, committing violent crimes and doing these things, and so that kind of get a picture of what the society was looking like and why God was looking down and saying, you know what, um, this is a mess. And these, these, these generations now are doing nothing to, to push back this chaos and the sin 
And so now we kind of get a picture. Again, you can see all of that happening even today in our culture, in our generation. I've been happening for for decades, but it's it's as this is a result of of where we are today is a result of this very same uh, ideology and this very same thing. So uh, as we concluded from last week, uh, the Bible clearly shows us that how that even uh, all of those thousands of years ago, when you had children growing up in a society without their fathers, it has a great damaging effect on the world. Okay? We think that our decisions and our choices, we, we become so self-centered, and sin is selfish, okay? Sin is selfish. So we become so self-centered in our sin and in our decisions, and when we get to that place that we think that, you know, our decisions and our choices are our own, and that, you know, we really don't affect anybody. It's my right. I can do what I want to. It's my body, right? It's my, it's my life. But we have to understand and we can see evidence in the scripture that your choice, one choice to, to go against God's word, to go against the biblical blueprint, the moral code that God has set for the world, not just for the church. It should be a no-brainer for the church. Okay, for those of us that are born again. But for the world, and, and if we step out of that, then uh, we're going to see that it not only just affects you, but you begin to affect those around you, those that you don't even know that you're not connected with yet, but new relationships, unless you change, unless things, uh, your views and your actions become different then you're going to have an effect on those that you connect with, build relationships with after that. So then those people now that you have connected with are going to go out into the world. And if they have uh, attached to your thinking, and if they have attached to your way of life, based on your choices and your decisions, it causes others that are close to you to have to make decisions based on your decision. And then, then we start seeing a rippling effect. And then it just begins to affect and move out and branch out. So don't think that your one choice to sin, your one choice to do, go against God's word, is just your private thing because it affects everyone that you are connected to, especially those that love you and everyone that you become connected to in the relationship. That's why it's important uh, who you establish relationships with. Okay, that's why that's very important. So we can see and conclude from last week that the Bible clearly shows us that this is happening. And so, you know, when we talk about these things, I want you to understand that, you know, we're not just uh, simply referring back to the 1970s when uh, Roe versus Wade changed the course of society's direction, you know, or, or we're not just talking about the United States uh, crime statistics. We're not just talking about some kind of political opinion. We've literally been reading from the pages of God's blueprint. Uh, uh, for our lives that give us details of how that when a generation abandons God's moral direction, when a generation walks away from God's values, that when they walk away from what God has set as boundaries for a life of peace, a life of health, a life of hope, a life of joy, a life of happiness, not, of, not mentioning a life of eternity, 
with God, uh, uh, the, the Bible, uh, we're not just referring to that. We've been reading about this from the pages of the Word of God of how that when that happens, uh, it begins to destroy humanity. So I'm not just talking about the things that have happened in our generations and, and since the 50s, 60s, 70s, and uh, on down. I'm talking about we've been reading this from the blueprint, uh, the pages of God's blueprint. So that's why, uh, uh, you know, the, the Bible records, and we told you, the genealogy, right? It records, uh, you know, all the big gaps because it's important to see that. It's important to understand that. It's important to know where you come from and the generations that you are connected to. You know, the, the dates of birth of children are real are still important today. So, uh, you know, I don't know about some of you, maybe some of you are too young, but, you know, we always had a big family Bible in our living room. My mom had a, what we call a drum table, and it laid on the second shelf of that drum table. And anytime a child was born, anytime anybody passed away, Anytime anybody got married that was important, my mom went and recorded that in that family Bible. There were pages that listed. And so I could go in and I could go back and she had listed her family history and my dad's family history and going back to my great-great-grandfathers and great-great-grandmas. So I could go back and I could connect where I come from and I could see uh, uh, all of these important events in, uh, in, in the lives of uh, of, of my family and people that were in generations before me, even though I was not there and was not alive then. And so uh, uh, they still keep track. And I'm sure some people still have family Bibles. I had my mom's and it got destroyed in our basement flood that, uh, uh, that keeps track of those generations. And so it shows the understanding that God's blueprint, and of course where it's recorded in a Bible, right? Because that is typically something that most people value, right, because of what it represents. And so, uh, uh, you know, it shows that understanding that God's blueprint uh, uh, shows concern for how children are brought into the world. And so it really makes a difference. It matters uh, how they are brought into the world. So now, obviously, that uh, we have a fuller understanding of the biblical blueprint of human uh, uh, ethics, we can really have a better grasp now uh, of the concept uh, now that we're moving into and we see uh, the, the, uh, the epoch of Noah and his generation and all of these things in humanity as it's in the word of God. We can now have a better grasp of the uh, concept of birth control that came into the world in 1962. Uh, people welcomed the uh, the idea of the birth control uh, and, and it was a great scientific advance, uh, but it was not without consequences. Now I'm not advocating either way here, so don't you know? Don't come at me with you know your opinion. <laughs> okay, I'm, not, I'm making a point here that uh, there's a connection there from where we're coming from and what we see in the days of Noah. And then we begin to see in our generations in the 1960s. Uh, and so now that great scientific advance, uh, it well was such, but it was not without consequences. So for the first time in history, men could responsibly forego all worries of children in their relationships with women. 
for the first time in history. But if they got pregnant, that's her problem. That was the that was the consensus. That was her problem. Uh, and so that that powerful phase now of separation of sex and reproduction uh, that has caused many, many, many tears, mostly of women. Yep. Amen. Yep. And so uh, now we see this this concept that now men could uh, uh, responsibly ignore all responsibility of raising children. And uh, should it happen, that's her problem. So uh, you see, again, uh, you know, Lamech may have been the first one to separate sex and reproduction, but he certainly was not the last one. He wasn't the last one. But we see, again, uh, how that it all came about again. So uh, the concept uh, that Lamech had moved in a direction that I'm sure even Lamech did not anticipate. I'm sure he never thought, man, this is a great idea, right? He thought, wow, we talked about that. He thought, this is a good idea. And probably many people around him like, hey. Until it started having consequences. Until they started to see the breakdown of home and family and, and the, the morality and all of the things that was happening. Uh, and so, I, and if you think about it, that's pretty much how the world works still today. Very rarely does a bad idea take hold overnight. You know, uh, it takes a while uh, for us to realize, you know what, that's probably not a very good idea. Once we start seeing what? A decline or the consequences or the devastation that it may cause. So, you know, I think most everybody, probably except for Adolescent boys, some of you boys that are in here tonight, I know you're almost men, but you're a boy. <laughs> some of you are, you know, you're even at 18, but I, trust me, you're, you're a boy. And cherish it. <laughs> cherish that, okay? There's, there's responsibilities and things that grow with that. But uh, my point being is that, you know, I think most everybody, except for adolescent boys, no matter how old they are, can understand, you know, uh, that... Uh, as the old saying is that hooking up suggests that sex between a man and woman has no more consequences than scratching an itch. Oh, they hooked up. Oh, cool, right? Scratch it. So, so you know, when, when, you, when you think about that, you really don't have to think hard, at least you shouldn't, to realize that hooking up is a really bad idea. Yes. Yes. To say the least. Why do you think, where do you think we got the word hooker? <laughs> a one-time hooker. It's where we get the word hooker. Okay? Think about it. So, uh, and, and my, my point is, is that it, it simply didn't appear overnight. So this whole idea of, hey, let's hook up. That didn't just happen overnight. That was not uh, an overnight thing. First, we had the idea of premarital sex. Now, what did that mean 50 years ago? You understand what I mean? It meant that if we knew we were committing to marriage, we simply just jumped the gun. We're going to be married anyway. Why not? Let's have sex. Which goes against 
God's moral code. There's reasons for that. Spiritual reasons being the most significant. But, so, first we have the idea uh, of premarital sex. That, okay, if we're going to get married anyway, then and we're going to have sex anyhow, let's go ahead, we might as well go ahead and do it. That, 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 that came along first. Second, that idea got extended to living together. Let's test drive this marriage Let's see if this really is going to work out for us. So let's let's test drive it. So so then then it got extended to living together. Thirdly, finally, the idea of sex is just no big deal at all. Just not a big to have multiple partners before marriage became normal. It became bragging rights for men, especially. So so you know it starts it started with. Well, we're going to get married, so it's not we're, we're not doing away with, with the idea of marriage. We're, we're good with that. But since we are, let's go ahead and, and be intimate. Let's go ahead and consummate this marriage, even though we're not married. Right? Then, again, well, we want to get married, but I don't know if it's going to work out, so let's try it. Then our government got involved and made it easier and more economical to stay together unmarried, come on, as a result of, 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 of children without fathers. Do you see this? I'm not, I'm, not being, I'm not being harsh. I'm explaining to you why Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be when I return. And I'm trying to help you understand that everything we're seeing is nothing new. We just didn't, you know, you have to look deeper in the scriptures you have to look in uh, in the meanings and, and, and the language to, to get the idea of that. So having multiple partners uh, before marriage became normal. That all took a lot of years to happen. That didn't just happen. And God created that way, but it just keeps right in there, right? You realize now, you that have that understanding, you're now coming to the realization that each step of the slide down that slippery slope was inevitable. It's going to happen. That's why, the, that's why the, the New Testament says, it just says it like this, that sin has a season. And when you reach the end of that season, it'll kill you. That it will not last. Your, your, your season of sin will not always bring you pleasure and happiness, contentment. There will come a point... Because it is inevitable when you step outside of the bounds that God has set. He set those bounds not to restrict us, but to actually free us. Do you understand that when you stay on the inside of those bounds that you are freer than those that are on the other side? Because when you, when you go against God's moral code, you're now bound to the ways of the world. And you're now bound to the curse of sin. You're bound to the curses of the enemy. You're not free. It may look like, well, we're doing our own thing. We're free to love who we want to. Love is love is love. No, it's not. So, so you, you understand, you understand that where, where, where we have now came, and we, t- we talked about it, you know, in the beginning of this, uh, you know, we started seeing in the 50s and the 60s, and then you can see the 70s, and you can see, you can look back, and you can see it in our entertainment, you can see it in the music, you can see it in the media, you can see that 
slow fading. Okay, to where now, man, there ain't much hidden now. Now everything's out and open and there's so you can see it in literally something that was done across the world in a split second. Okay? So now the enemy's really got a lot of things there uh, 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 taking place. So, uh, it, now that you, when you have this understanding, you realize that, 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 that every step to that slide down that slope really was inevitable. So now, let's go back to that, to that phrase, hooking up. You know, it got to the place, well, don't even bother telling me your name. Just climb in my bed. How many, how many, how many one-night stands have you had and you, you, you just failed to ask the name? Or you forgot? Or you might have known the first name if they were telling you the truth. But you didn't get the last name. But then, three months later, you find out you're pregnant with Mr. Mystery Man's child. Right? But you've had so many partners that you don't have any idea who that child belongs to. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you see that pattern? And this is what was taking place in the days of Noah. Okay? And, and we've become so um, hardened to that that we celebrate sin. We celebrate sin in the church. Sorry, we do. Okay? And, 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 and it's, again, as a result, you know, that idea of hooking up, just, just you know, I don't need to know your name. Better off if I don't. The less I know about you, better off I am. Right? Just come just come to my bedroom. Come to my bed. Let's get a room. However, what I don't want to do. Right? That idea would have never taken hold decades ago. Right? Like, what? No. That's not how it works. But after the first step, then the second, then the third, it was destined to happen, right? After that idea of premarital sex, then living together, and then sex was really no big deal at all, all right? To having those multiple partners, then it's destined to happen. So here now is one really useful tool for looking into the future and seeing the unintended consequences of our current decisions. Have I got that? We're going to talk about it just and give you a quick uh, um, uh, comparison, a quick analogy, something to, to think about, a useful tool to think about uh, uh, when you're looking into the future and then seeing the unintended consequences of our current decisions. So to put that in hillbilly terms, trying to give you a way to think about what this moment in your life is going to, how it's going to affect you for the rest of your life. Or at least in the immediate future. So, you know, quite often the immediate reaction to a new idea really seems to be positive, right? It's like, wow, that's pretty cool. You know, that's, that's awesome. Like, you know, all of this technology that we have now that we have, uh, you know, we have all now literally we're stuck in. Like we're committed to it. All the online and the, uh, you know, everything, uh, you know, digital and all of that. It was cool in the beginning. It was convenient. Oh, wow. Just took a car in there. Awesome. We, we, we didn't realize that it was leading up to now. This is, that's the bringing in of one world government, one world uh, currency, one world system. 
You, you can't convince me. But we're stuck there, right? Because all of us, I mean, when they, when they, when they labeled us with a social security number, it was the start of it. But it was all cool because it was easy that all you had to do, you know, to, to prove who you were was to give somebody that number and they could look you up and find you. So you yeah, made life easy, but now look where it's taking us. You see what I'm saying? So uh, it, 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 that's why it's so important to train ourselves and our children to look at life with a video view instead of a snapshot. So look at life, here's why I want to, just this little useful tool, to look at life with a video view instead of a, a snapshot one. So, for instance, I could show you two pictures or, or, or two uh, picture snapshots. One would show you a man and a woman looking at each other smiling. The other picture would show you a man and a woman sitting next to each other Reading, reading a book, reading a magazine, reading something. Which couple would make you smile and wish that you could have the same relationship they had? The couple looking at each other and smiling, right? You would look at that picture and think, oh, that's what I would like to have instead of sitting. Right? That, 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 that's obvious. We would make a really different choice if we could see where the snapshots versus the video of where that was at. So if we could see the video of the details that led up to and followed after that moment of snapping that picture when that man and woman looked at each other smiling, the other man and woman sitting next to each other reading. It could be what appears to be a loving, healthy, vital couple. They could be nothing than two more people sealing a, a, a moment of adulterous pleasure together in a motel room. And it's a moment in time when you know they're, they're capturing uh, that while they have a chance. But only by looking at the video, we could see the devastation that the affair was going to bring, not only to them, but to their spouses, to their kids, to their communities, and even to society as a whole. So, are, are, you see what I'm saying? We look at, we can, we can really put this on social media. We can, we can use this tool on social media because you see a picture of what you think is a perfect life. Right, right. And you see a moment that you wish you had that. When you did not see the video that led up to that and what follows after that. Are you with me? So now let's talk about the other couple. By looking at their picture, you may think they don't even care about each other. Right? Sitting in the same room by each other reading, not communicating. But if you would see the video, you would see that they were high school sweethearts who got married. You would see that all of the shared moments of their passion, their happiness, even their sorrow and their sadness. 
that they were just so comfortable with each other, they were just watching TV, and in fact, the very day before that, she discovered she's pregnant with her first child. But you wanted to be like the one, the couple that you saw smiling because that was a moment captured. Are you with me? Does that make sense to everybody? Yes. I'm trying to make this make this simple and understandable. That that when you're making a decision in a moment, you've got to look at it with a video view as to what led up to that moment and what the consequences of that moment and that decision are going to be in the time after. But only looking at the moment of the snapshot, we don't know anything of the entire story or what the consequences following are going to be. We don't know that. You, you, that all you see is this, that, that moment. So we have to start looking at things with the eye of a video camera rather than the eye of just a snapshot. We have to look at things as to what are going to be the consequences of this. So young people, when you're caught in that moment of passion, and I know you're in love. I get it, I've been there. And I'm not even saying that you're not in love. But if you're not married, that decision to become intimate is going to have a devastating effect on you, the other person, and everyone else connected to you for a long, long time. You may not think it will, but it will. So, so think about those moments and think about our decisions. And so uh, that, that we, we have to start looking at things through the eye of a video camera. And the same is true for all the trends in society. Had Lamech been able to look in the future and see, I would hope that maybe he would at least thought a little harder right. about his decision. How many of you have made choices and decisions that did affect you and your future? And you, you would say, if I only knew. Yes. That you wish you would have looked a little bit deeper into the future. Right? And to think about that. This is one of the benefits of walking in the spirit. And having a relationship with God is that He knows the future, and He certainly knows what these 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 moments and these choices are going to bring. So He can lead us down the paths and in the places where those things we won't have to make those kind of choices. At least so often, and that He can speak to us, and that when you feel that gut feeling something just didn't feel right now there's people that nothing feels right okay so I'm not talking about that <laughs> but when you have and it doesn't even have to be spiritual but when you have a gut unction about something take a pause Look a little deeper into the video camera. But, but we've come so accustomed to overriding that. And I'm not even call it conviction. Because we're not even talking spiritual even. It doesn't even have to be spiritual. You see what I'm saying? When, 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 and so there's a, there's a, God has given us that 
that blessing and that connection. So even now we have the Holy Ghost that said he'll lead you and guide you in all ways of truth. And he'll comfort you. Are you with me? So God's got our back if we let him have it. We got, we got, we got to let him have it, okay? So because you know what? There have been dozens, right, of great ideas that brought great celebration at the time of their start. Wow, this is great. This this is amazing. Just like birth control. Okay? You see what I'm saying? That that brought but it resulted in nothing but chaos and destruction over the years. And now we see that 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 the idea of birth control is now used in self-abortion. After a hookup, and you decide that I'm not ready for that. Well, you should have thought about that before you hooked up. That's the thinking anyway, right? And we're not even talking about girls anymore. We're talking about grown adult women. And I'm not I'm not solely just the women because the men, we talked about that last week. If that gets on my nerves. The man ought to be held accountable. He, ought to, he should have to wear, wear a sign or something. <laughs> I did it. I did it. I'm the one. I'm the one. I did it. If they can just decide now that they can take a, a, a birth control pill that's designed specifically for that and then just dissolve and do away with that after you regret it the next morning. What did I do? And even if you don't know, just to make sure. Are you with me? Do you see that? Do you, do you understand? I'm trying, I'm, I'm trying to help you understand that, you know, wow, that moment of passion, you know, with, 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 with Sally and, uh, you know, uh, Billy Bob. Wow, that was so great. Are you with me? Do you understand that? So uh, we, we see that, that, you know, Lamech may have been... Uh, uh, he might have been man of the year at the time that he decided, you know what, I will marry two women. One to have sex with and the other one to have children with. He might have been people's man of the year. Great idea. Great man, right? Let's all follow after him. But now we understand the devastation and the consequences of such a decision. And even though God destroyed the world, sin wasn't destroyed. Okay? It was still, it was still in man. And guess what? We're still praying, paying the price for his decision yep. today. We are still paying the price for that today. So now, remember we talked about the separation of the portions or the sagras. Uh, and once we realize the separation of sagras, once you realize that. Uh, it, it didn't end in Genesis 5.32, but it went on eight more verses in chapter 6 before uh, the first Savior ended, the first portion. Uh, you know, once we, we realize that the separation of Saviors is, is a thing and that uh, there are portions and we need to bring all of those and keep them clustered together, uh, it brings uh, light to deeper truths and revelations that we can now see more fascinating details. Because before we started this study, 
uh, you know, probably some of these things you would have never thought about. You were looking for some great, big, you know, wow moment of what's happening today and how it was in the days of Noah, but the Bible you read and you're like, well, you know, I've seen this and that, but it really doesn't give us any details. But God is. We just have to put ourselves into it. We have to put something into it to be able to, to get that back. So uh, we, we, we can see some fascinating details. And so now, one of the things we can see in the Torah is that there are many names of God. God has many names. Now let me, uh, wait a minute. Uh, I'll wait a second. Uh, there are many names for God in, in, in the Torah. And when I say Torah, I mean, you know, essentially I'm talking about the Old Testament, but specifically it is the first five books of the Bible. This is what their law was. So remember we said that a few weeks back in the beginning. You know, in the English we might call God the Almighty. We might call him the Lord. We might call him God. We may even call him God our Savior. Uh, you know, etc. All of those, all of those different things. But what we're really trying to do is to convey the many Hebrew names that uh, each one reveals about one facet of this limitless God. Understand that God is limitless. This means you'll never comprehend him. We'll never understand all of his ways. Now we can understand how he thinks and why he tells us some of the things, many of the things that he tells us by understanding his language and understanding the concepts but we're not always going to understand the whys of the way that these concepts and these things work in our lives. Okay? Since I since I, you know, been studying the Hebrew and looking at scriptures from that perspective, there are some things to me that are no brainer. Like, you know, you don't even have to ask God. You know, I'm not God, but I can tell you what the Bible says, that how God thinks about that particular subject. And more than likely, he's going to tell you no. But more than likely, he's going to say yeah. You understand what I'm saying? And he gives us that ability through the word and understanding. And then with the Holy Spirit, giving us wisdom and direction and so on and so forth. So uh, he's a limitless God. But these names in the Torah, in the word, give us just, uh, it's a way of trying to Define one facet of uh, this limitless God. So, the name that I will say uh, is Hashem. Many of you probably heard that before. Baruch Atah, Hashem, Adonai, uh, blessed be the Lord our God. Baruch Atah, uh, you know, Hashem. Hashem is literally translates as simply God. Okay? So, when you see Hashem in the Hebrew, and Hashem is used in the scriptures, when you see that, it's literally saying God. Now let me say right here, God is not a name. God is a title. That is not his name. 
It is his title. Are you with me? His name is Yahweh. The everlasting. The eternal. Yehovah. Are you, are you understand that? So, so, this is why Jews say Hashem. Okay? Hashem literally translate at, translates as the name. Shem is name. Hashem, the name. So when they say Hashem, it's the name that is the only name. The name. Yes, the name. The name above all names. The I am. That I am. So when you say Hashem, you don't have to even think about it. So that's why all these lowercase g's and number titles. We get all bent out of shape. And it's and, and you know that's that's our reference to him. But Hashem means the name, that name, the name. Okay? God is a title, it's not a name. Alright? So keep that in mind. Just like I still get all bent out of shape if they don't have it like it. Just like, yeah, it's a it's a thing in my brain, and we'll be that way till he takes me out of here. Um but it's a way of letting people know you're talking about Hashem. Right, right. And not just some other kind of you know, shot in the dark. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, that that in itself again is is important to understand. So, you know, it's just like, you know, and we we've preached it said it before, <laughs> Satan is a title. It's not his name. That's why the Jews say the Satan. Because the Satan is that adversary. Satan means adversary. The Satan is everyone's common enemy. Because you can be Satan. I can be Satan. I can be your Satan. You can be my Satan in the Hebrew. I can be your adversary. I can be the one against you. Are you with me? I'm not calling you the devil. But you be calling me the devil. So it's, 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 it's the Satan. Ha Satan. It's, that means, so when they say Hasatan, everybody knows it's not about the devil. And then I talk about Jane. <laughs> You're this right eye, bird's eye view. So, but you, you see what I'm saying? It's a title for him as well. Okay? Uh, he is the devil. Alright? So it's the same with, with God, Hashem. Okay? So uh, it, is, it is literally. A uh, translates as God. It is a four-letter name that is used when God's merciful side is the real focus. Now remember, there's no vowels in the Hebrew language, so that's why it, it becomes four letters. Okay, um, and so the you know the sh sound is the sheen. It's one letter in the Hebrew. Okay, so you you got four literally four letters. In, in this uh, that uh, is used so Hashem is used when it's God's merciful side when we want to look at him as the God of mercy then Elohim I'm sure most of you have heard of Elohim right the almighty Elohim Elohim is the word that translates Lord so Hashem Translates God or the name Elohim is Lord. So when you see in the in the Old Testament when 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 they call God Lord, they're saying Elohim. 
Are you with me? And so that's why he's called Lord. You know, we think Jesus is Lord, and they call God Lord. You can call, you can call Hashem Elohim. Does that make sense? You can call God Lord. Okay? Because, uh, again, Elohim, this name of God is when we use this name when we want to focus on judgment. So we use this name, and I'm telling you this for a reason. We use this name when we want to focus on his mercy, the attribute of his mercy. When we want to focus on the attribute of his judgment, we use Elohim. But it's the same God. Are you with me? So that's why the different names. And it's important. Okay, so, you know, when we're talking about him being our victory, amen, our, our banner over us, we call him Jehovah Nisi. God, Jehovah, the banner of victory over us. When we're talking about him as our peace, we call him Jehovah Shalom. But he's still God. That's why he can be Jehovah Jesus, our, our Savior. Are you with me? Does that make sense to you? Okay. Jews get that. And so, that, but the, the understanding that and, and seeing it, it change in scriptures is very important because it, it not only allows us to know it's him, but it allows us to see why he's saying what he's saying. Because if he's being, if he's being portrayed as the God of judgment, there will be no mercy involved anymore. If he's being portrayed as Hashem, judgment hasn't came yet. Make sense to you? Better hold on. Better hold on to that. So let's look at Genesis uh, one through eight. You pull that up for me, and see which trait is revealed here. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them. That the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, and the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, also after that, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. And God saw, are you seeing a difference already? And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repented me that I had made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Okay? Now, while the world is deteriorating, while the world is on that slippery slope, the merciful side of God, Hashem, is being used in the scriptures. But there's a drastic change. As soon as we move into the second Sadra, the Sadra of Noah, verse 8 is the last Scripture, the last verse in the first portion or the first Sadra. As soon as we see a shift, as soon as we go into verse 9 
from verse 8, we see a, we begin to see a drastic change. So if you look throughout chapter 6, and, and you'll see, uh, had I asked you to find a place to divide the chapter by looking at God's name, understanding that by looking at God's name, you would have split the chapter right where one Savior ends and another begins. If I told you, do it based on God's name. Are you seeing that? You understand? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, to, to help you understand. So, so through verse six here in chapter six, the name Hashem is used, meaning mercy. But from verse nine on, in the Hebrew, it is Elohim, which means judgment. So there was a shift from mercy to judgment. But they were still eating and drinking. Marrying, giving them marriage, doing their own thing. God was allowing them. He even gave them another 120 years to change. Okay? But there, something happened. So uh, from, from verse 9 on, we see that. So first mercy, then judgment. So what could God be telling us? What, what, what's so important about that? In the first Savior, of course, God is being merciful. Despite all of the downfall of society in those 10 generations, uh, God not only promises to wait another 120 years uh, uh, before bringing destruction, but it's during that time that he tells Noah to build an ark so that the people will question it. Now, we already, we already talked about that the Bible doesn't say anywhere in Genesis that Noah told the people it's going to rain. Right, we already established that. It's not there. Doesn't there's nothing definitive that tells us that Noah said, guys, get ready, change your ways, because there's a flood coming. Nowhere does it say that. But in this 120 years before bringing this destruction, God tells Noah, I want you to build the ark. Why? It gives the people the opportunity to question, why are you doing that? Then Noah could say, there's a flood coming. So Noah doesn't, we see from the scripture that Noah doesn't go and say, hey dude, you better stop your sinning. You better quit doing what you're doing because destruction is coming. God didn't tell me so. Right? But what does Noah do? God can trust him. And Noah begins to build that ark. Now imagine you going by Noah's farm, whatever, and he's got all this sofa wood. He's got all of these materials. And him and his sons are building this ark. You're going to be going, you know, might take three or four passes, but eventually you're going to be like, hey, Noah, what are you doing? Oh, I'm building an ark. A what? An ark. What for? God sent. God. Oh, oh, you mean God? You know, because it's been a bit. I'm just speculating. And then I'm going to say, well, why would God tell you to build an ark? Because he said there's a flood coming. A flood? What's a flood? And you have a rain. Right. It's going to start raining. Rain? Then we can conclude this is nuts. So year after year, over a hundred years, 
and they're like, ooh, we got this. Let's just keep on doing what we're doing. The violence gets worse. There's more fatherless children being born. More sin. They're, they're partying. They're doing their own thing. I remember they, they already have Noah's, Noah's dad had the idea that, that the curse, the ground's curse was lifted so uh, you should be able to get something for nothing. Keep this in mind. All this is happening now. And all the while, Noah keeps filling the ark. Noah keeps filling the ark. Trying to hurry. So, it gives him the opportunity now to tell them about the, the, the flood that's coming. But when the Sedra of Noah starts, beginning verse 9, we've now passed the period of mercy, and now the time of judgment has arrived. So God's mindset has shifted. Hashem, the God of mercy, has now shifted to Lord, Elohim, the God of judgment. Where do you think we're at today? Mercy follows us. Right. Follows who? Those who are redeemed. Yeah. Not everybody that wakes up in the morning has access to the mercy that we do as children of God. Right. Not everybody does. It's only by the mercies of God that they're still walking upright. But I'm telling you, mercy follows after those who stay in the household of God. Not everybody who says, I love him. Are you with me? So, so just because we had mercy doesn't mean that Elohim has not shifted. Because I believe we're, this is where we're at. I believe this is that, that, that he's went from Hashem to Elohim. So, the name of God changes from mercy to judgment. But also, there's another change. The word for man changes from one Savior to the next. In the first Savior, verses 5 and 6 in chapter 6, can you pull that up for me? 5 and 6 again in chapter 6, Genesis 5 and 6. God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. This word used here for man is Adam. That's the word for man, Adam, which comes from Adam or Adam, capital A. Okay? It literally means red earth, man. Okay? So in, 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 in verses 5 and 6, in that chapter, mankind is still called Adam. That's given the overall title of all of his first descendants. Right? So, God is, God is saying that. But, after we get into the second Savior, which began at verse 9. Can you give me verse 9 now, if you would please? These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted 
his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So now, in verses 12 and 13, right, it switched at verse 9 from Hashem to Elohim. And prior to that, in the first Sedra, it was Adam. He repented for the fact that he had made man, Adam. But in the second Sedra, when judgment is being applied, instead of labeling humanity with the honor of man, Adam, he gives them a different name in the Hebrew, and that name is Basar. So, Basar literally means flesh. So notice when I read to you, in that first Savior, he repented for making Adam, but then he told Noah, all Basar is come before me, and I will destroy all of Basar from the face of the earth. Not man, but Basar. So Hashem, mercy, man, Adam, the honorable name, right? How dare you call me an animal? Right? Because you act like one. When you act like an animal that has no conscience, and that has no regards, no empathy, then you're going to get treated like an animal. Right? It's the universal law. We can't change that. So, Hashem Adam, when he switches to God of judgment to Elohim, now man is called Basar. All right? It's important that you understand that. That literally means meat or flesh. Okay? This suggests, what this suggests to us in the Hebrew, that there isn't a whole lot of spiritual left in them. Remember we told you that God said, my spirit shall not always strive with Adam. I'll give them 120 years. And if they remain like this, then I'm going to show up like this. So sin is only for a season. I don't care how much it seems like. And I know it seems like that those that do wrong get away with it. They won't. I would much rather them get their crown here and me get mine there than to get any kind of recognition or any kind of recompense down here and miss that. Okay? That's very important. So, as we move from the first Savior to the second one, the names of both God and man now change to give us a new reality. So, what made Noah find grace in the eyes of God? What was it that made Noah find favor in God's eyes? Because verse 8 says, and Noah found grace or favor in the eyes of God. What did he do to increase that favor? How did, it, how, how did that favor over the 120 years that he built the ark increase? Okay? So we, 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 we want to look. We want to look at this. All right? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to finish on this. But the last verse of the first Sedra to the first verse of the second Sedra, so Genesis 6, 8 to Genesis 6, 9, says that Noah walked with Elohim, not with Hashem, but he walked with Elohim. 
even though it shows he is using his attribute of judgment. Noah's now walking with Elohim, not Hashem. So even after it shifted and it went from it's went from Hashem to Elohim, from Adam to Basar, Noah is walking with Elohim. So to appreciate what's really happening here, we've got to ask. Uh, was Noah chosen to be saved just because maybe he was one of the fortunate ones? Why was Noah chosen to be saved? I'm going to tell you what ancient Jewish wisdom teaches. And it's very fascinating. And uh, as that, that the reason, ancient Jewish wisdom teaches that the reason Noah was chosen to represent his generation and he found favor in God's eyes Unlike his father, remember his father, Naama, his wife Naama, her father Lamech, his father Lamech, unlike his father, thought the ground's curse was broken and he needed not to work anymore. Noah sees the opportunity of the curse being reduced and actively worked to magnify the potential now available to man by inventing the plow. Think about it. Noah, the ground had to be worked, correct? The Bible says the curse of the, the curse of Adam, the ground had to be worked, and that it was going to bring labor. When Adam died, Lamech, Noah's father, named him Noah, which means rest, because he said, "You have now brought us reprieve. You are now the sign that the curse is lifted. We no longer have to work for what we get." So even though Noah's father taught that, Noah saw that the curse, now the curse wasn't completely gone, but it was reduced, and Noah saw that. Now he actively worked to magnify the potential that was now available. So now you don't have to work as hard, so let's find something that will work for you. Are you with me? That will make it be able to work. So the Hebrew word for plow is kolosh. Car wash. <laughs> car wash. Car wash. You say it if you want to say it. I could That's the Hebrew word for for plow. That word that word evolved into the English word horse. So karash evolved into the English word horse because. In England, they didn't use oxen to, to plow the earth. They used a horse, which was different than, than the, the most that would use oxen. So Noah took advantage of the new state of being by building tools that could benefit everybody. So in other words, Noah, just because he could get by, decided that that's not how it should be. That he still worked. God could trust Noah to build and keep building while everybody else was partying. Noah was working. It wasn't that Noah was saved. Remember, there was no wall. There was nothing that told how to worship at this time. There was there was no there was no system of worship. There was no evidence of any kind of, of teaching that man didn't even get. 
God's law. They didn't even know what sin was until God gave it to Moses. Are you with me? So Noah worked even though that idea, that concept was, was seemed to be taken away. So his inventions helped bring affluence to society because of the invention of the plow. Now when you read, when you read history, he also created things with his brother-in-law, which was Tubal Cain, or Tubal Cain, who learned how to work with iron, and so that the production of the plow made affluence possible. So this 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 made this made life a little bit easier. Okay? But let's think about this, and I'm I'm, I'm bringing this to a close for tonight. Let's think about this. Affluence with its gifts of extra time, what an ease of living when things like the microwave and you know, all of these inventions. When 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 affluence with the gifts of uh, of extra time and easy living often leads to excess or self-indulgence or lazy. We become lazy. That's why we're we don't have to be in the drive-through more than 60 seconds and we're ticked off because we ain't moved. You lazy. Somebody else is cooking it for you and you're trusting them. Somebody else is getting paid to serve you and you're acting like a fool because they ain't got you up there in 60 seconds. Are you with me? Shame on us. All of us. We get, we get, and, and it's made us want everything now. Right now. And we can get that now online. You can get approval for this. You can get that. You can order this. You can do that. I can order something on Amazon. And it's there by the afternoon. And I didn't have to get in my car and go out and deal with people. That's a little excessive if we think about it. Now, I'm not condemning it. Because I do it, I'll do it again. I'll be something on my porch when I get home. But my point being, do you see what I'm talking about? But even though it made things easier, Noah still worked. God could depend on Noah to follow through, even for a hundred and some years. That something didn't happen. So, we see with the people in those generations that that's exactly what happened. They became so self-indulgent and so excessive that they were doing whatever they felt like they, they, they should and they could. That's why we have a generation now that is full of entitlement. And they don't have to do much of anything to get where they want to go. And if you don't give it to them, they throw a hissy fit. Somebody needs to get out of belt and beat their hind end. Yes. Right. Amen. I said their hind end. Their body. I'm with them. Are you, are, you, are, you, are you with me? So think about it. Think about it. This is a problem for society. This is a real problem because the very habits that produce wealth, like self-discipline, persistence, optimism, your faith, these are deep-rooted spiritual habits that produce pros prosperity, right? But those very same habits that prosperity produces subsequently erodes. So the very thing that, that produces prosperity will also produce destruction.
Are you with me on that? That's why typically, so many times, the descendants of wealthy families end up being good for nothing. And I don't mean worthless as humans, I mean worthless to society. Good for nothing to society. They, they contribute nothing beneficial to society. Are you with me? To the, to the well-being. That's why you see that happen. That the qualities that were being displayed by their family while the wealth was being created, uh, those get undermined by the gain, by the affluence, and all the luxury, and the comfort, and the leisure, and then these qualities eventually go away. They eventually leave. That's a big problem for society. But it's also a big problem for parents because so many want to give our kids the things that we didn't have growing up. Amen? Well, I just want to give my kids what I didn't have growing up. Sometimes we forget to give them the things we had. Sometimes we forget to give them the things that we had while growing up, like the habits, the discipline, the faith in God. By giving them everything that we think they need and that they want, we forget to give them what we had growing up, which was work ethic, discipline, faith in God, being in his house, trusting him, being consistent, making a commitment, not being lazy, working for what you have. Taking pride in the fact that you will work. The Bible calls it a sloth. It calls it slothfulness, laziness. And it's a spirit. So, we're going to look at what Noah passed on to his sons. And that will also help us explain God's approval over Noah's life. So, we, we're, 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 going to take, we're going to take a look at that. We're going to end there tonight. But understand that all of these things and all of these uh, uh, concepts and these ideas are vital in understanding what God is doing. And if we know that we are in this place, should we not pursue to be more like this and not like that? Help us, God. Help us not to be in the flesh. Not to act like just a piece of meat. Because that's what God said. They're just a piece of meat now. They're just a piece of flesh because their spirit is just about gone. No conscience. How do they do that? No conscience. Because it is the effect, the ripple effect. This is why we have men dressed as women standing behind the pulpit, calling it right. We have women dressed as men entertaining and teaching our children that this is okay. We should be we should be we, we should be upset about all of these things. And it's not just that. There's so many other things that that we should see. That we are here, guys. As it was in the days of Noah, we are at that point where the ark is built. And right up to the moment that Noah went in. And God's the one that sealed the ark shut. Not Noah. God did. I want his seal of approval on my life. Amen. When I lay down tonight, I want to have a clean conscience. Amen. 
I want to, I want, I want to have the assurance that all that I know that I'm walking with Elohim. That even though judgment is upon us, that I'm walking with him. And that his grace is over my life. Are you with me? Amen. We appreciate you tonight. I'm going to end there. We'll pick up next Thursday on uh, what, what Noah passed on to his sons and uh, why God chose him. He wasn't saved. He wasn't a Christian. He wasn't holy. He wasn't righteous. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible said he found favor in God's eyes. He found grace. There has to be a reason for that. Right? Yes. So, stand with us. I think the kids came up, didn't they? Yeah, I heard them. Um, don't forget, once again, quick commercials. Tomorrow evening, 4.30 to 6.30, is the kick <laughs> Christmas program practice. 7 o'clock is the Paul's Christmas party. Uh, tomorrow morning, if you are able to help uh, unload and to stock and set, get everything set up, be here 9.45 in the morning to help. Saturday morning is pantry, the toy giveaway, Southeast Healthcare, uh, Hope Task Force, uh, Franklin County Sheriff's Department, uh, all going to be here working with them with the toy giveaway um, and the pantry distribution as well as the... Um, the distributing the, um, the giving tree, okay, I wasn't uh, the giving tree out there, all those things, busy, busy time, and then Sunday morning, we'll uh, the training at 10, 11 o'clock, uh, we'll begin our worship, and then uh, the kids and the youth choir have their uh, Christmas program, amen, to worship, so come be with us, uh, let's pray for one another, um, Hanukkah ends tomorrow evening, and also, we trust that you have, uh, the, the Lord has ministered to you uh, during these eight days. Amen? Same with us. If you're not already standing, the last of shofars, we need to lift your hands to honor God, giving a big shout of praise for all that he has done tonight. Amen? We bless you. Thank you. God bless you.